Well, let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, verses 27 and 28. We're going to be actually right here for a while in, um, not this morning, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, in, this, in this series, this will be home base um, for, for the next several uh, sermons and hopefully uh, even by the end of this one, you'll have a little context for why I say that, but in the weeks to come. But this will be where we'll camp out for a little while now. If you're just joining us, we're in a series called It Is Good and looking at the very beginning um, of the Bible and God's creation before sin entered the scene, um, what it was that he created that he said was good, that we might have our perspective adjusted by that and um, our lifestyle uh, brought in alignment with that because what he says is good is indeed good. And so that's where the meditation of our heart is during this season of time. So let's look together at Genesis 1, 27 and 28. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand as we listen for the voice of God and the word of God. Hear the word of the Lord. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you now as always for your word, that it is true and living, active and powerful, that it is able to pierce to the very uh, center of our being and discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, revealing to ourselves what is true about us so that, Lord, um, exposed to you, you might heal what needs to be healed, mend what is broken, that you might speak truth into our error and impart life where there is death. All of that we open to you and pray that you would speak your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and our good. God, would you move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument this morning for Christ's sake. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, if you, if you saw the newsletter over the weekend, <clears throat> yesterday, I think it came out, I just sort of posed that timeless philosophical question, what is the meaning of life? And uh, I'm not going to answer it in one sermon. I'm actually going to take this in two sermons. I'll elaborate on that in just a little bit. But... Uh, but I, I pose that question simply because it is common to man. Everybody, whether they sit around pondering it or not, everybody lives their life seeking some connection to purpose and meaning, looking for meaning, even if at some point they arrive at the conclusion, for whatever reasons, because of what they believe, 
that there isn't any meaning in life. And they live in sort of despair about that. But everybody lives in some connection to a sense of purpose. And every worldview, every religion, every uh, system of philosophy or whatever has to answer the question, why am I here? Again, because it is so fundamental to human life, every, every religion, every worldview has to answer that question. And what the Bible tells us is that God created man and woman in his image and that immediately he told them their purpose. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this morning, just as kind of a few points of disclaimer, this is a fairly simple principle that I want to uh, convey this morning, but it's, it's not necessarily easy um, to, to kind of understand or apply in a concrete way, uh, but I'm going to try to explain it this morning fairly concisely and um, to illustrate it uh, concretely. So I'm, 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 I'm fairly unambitious about how much uh, I'm going to address this morning, but I want to try to uh, make this point as, as clearly and concisely as I can. And I'll also say, as kind of a disclaimer, this message, like all of them in this series, is, will be kind of incomplete. The, the, this series is put together like a book that has 10 chapters or something like that. And at the end of every chapter, there's a next chapter. And so it's, one of the challenges in preaching a series like this is in any given message to say something that uh, comes to a conclusion, even though it's not really the conclusion. I, I don't always do that successfully, but that's the, that's the challenge in front of me in any given week. And so that's just to say, just know at the, uh, at the end of this message, there's more to be said. I'll even do a part two of this very message. But um, most of the other messages in this series grow out of and build upon an understanding of what we uh, first uncover here uh, about this, this principle of man's purpose. I do that for your benefit, not mine. This passage that we just read, these couple of verses, is often referred to in... Uh, Christian circles as the cultural commission or the cultural mandate. Sometimes it's called the creation mandate uh, or the first commission. All those different names you might, you might see it uh, referred to as. But it is the first commission that God gives to man, the first commandment, the first command he gives to human beings, be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it, and so on. And it consists of a blessing first, right? He blessed them and said those things. But there are two parts of the command that you read. Again, this is fairly simple as it goes in the text. Two parts of it. The be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Whatever you sort of envision about that. And then the second part of that, subdue the earth and exercise dominion over it. And so I, I want to take a couple of swings at explaining what that means or implies and, and, and what that might sort of preview about human life from the very beginning where there's just a man and a woman uh, and what that 
might preview thousands of years later in history as this cultural commission or this cultural mandate is lived out. And so uh, one of the sources I would draw from to kind of help uh, us understand that, because it, what, what, we're, what we're interested in, in part, is for you and for me, what is, what is my purpose in life? It's what is ours as human beings, what is ours as a society. But how do I find meaning and purpose in my life? And it's connected to God's purpose for humanity more general. But Nancy Piercy, who wrote a book called Total Truth, she's written other things as well. But she, she says this, that the first phrase, be fruitful and multiply, means to develop the social world. Again, so you can imagine there's only two people there in the beginning and they're going to have children. But, but what, it, what it previews as that command is carried out and the earth is filled, you've got families having families having families and families become tribes and tribes become communities and cities and nations that they organize themselves together in social institutions even when you get uh, the whole earth being filled. And so downstream of that, there will be schools and governments, houses of worship, and so on. Developing the social world. That, that's, that's the way the language she puts to that, is that the first part of the command is to develop the social world. And then the second part, the second phrase is subdue the earth, and that means to harness the natural world. So, plant crops, she says, build bridges, design computers, compose music. Now, most of you are like me, and you would initially read that and go, okay, I have a hard time getting from verse 28 of chapter 1 to composing music. But hopefully, as we develop our thinking about this, that'll, that'll make sense. But another uh, attempt at sort of defining this comes from an organization called Nine Marks. There's a website uh, that they have where you could find this, but I really like the way this is summed up. Because they say, the cultural mandate is the command to exercise dominion over the earth, subdue it, and to develop its latent potential. God calls all humans, all humans, as those made in his image to fill the earth with his glory through creating what we commonly call culture. Okay, now, maybe you can already appreciate uh, the fact when, when I said this is a simple principle, but not necessarily an easy one to understand. You might not yet understand what I mean by simple, but you might understand so far what I mean by not easy to understand. So stick with me here. I want to just sort of develop these concepts of filling the earth with God's glory. This connects to Last week's message on the, the um, sort of indescribably, uh, indescribable importance of the fact that God is, or that God's created man in his own image. That, that mankind is unique in that respect. And that becomes immediately relevant in the fact that God intends for his glory to be revealed in humanity. By having human beings on the earth, that he reveals something of himself. There's a uh, 
theologian, uh, sort of Bible and theology professor, uh, actually is part of the, the EPC. His name's Mike Glodo. But uh, he, he described that in, in these terms about, about filling the earth with God's glory, that this is part of what it means, what, this cultural mandate that God gave to humanity to fill the earth and subdue it. Mike Glodo says, God gave humanity the cultural mandate in the most simple terms so that the world, the creation, would be filled with his glory. We see a picture of creation as being something like the construction of a house, sort of like the, an ancient temple. I'm just pausing right there so you get a picture. God created a garden where he's going to dwell with with man. And and he goes on to say, when a temple is built, the God who commissioned its building inhabits it. And so the biblical view of creation is that the whole earth is made to be a dwelling place for God, to be a holy sanctuary. But instead of a statue representing God, I don't know if any of you have ever traveled to parts of the world where there are temples filled with statues and images of God's, filled with the things that God said in the Ten Commandments, don't make any of those, right? But there are temples around uh, filled with statues and images that represent the God or gods that are worshipped there. And what he says is, Instead of a statue representing God, a statue of a bird or a lion or something like that being placed in that temple, God placed man and woman in the earth as his image bearers. One of the reasons that is such a a grave sin in God's eyes to make graven images and worship them is because God has made man to be the image of God. That is not to say we are worthy of worship in any sense. We are not objects of worship. People like to make themselves out to be like they were objects of worship, but we are certainly not. We're not image bearers of God in that respect, but, but, but there's something that God intends to reveal about his own presence and glory in the earth through the very presence of human beings on the earth. Your purpose in life, loved one, is connected to that very fact. That God intends to reveal himself in your life. Not just to you, but through you. And that's not only true for the Christian. That's his design on all of humanity. That's part of the uniqueness of our uh, nature as human beings that we're created to reflect and manifest The glory of God. The other part of that, though, was developing the earth's latent potential. Um, That is, the the earth was created full of potential to yield more than just it immediately yielded. That's still the case. It's filled with latent potential. Man is filled with the capacity to leverage that potential. Um, Again, in simple ways and very complex and sophisticated ways. And so we think about in the garden where he will say, 
shortly after this passage to man. He gives him work to do, right? One of the messages we'll come to in this series has to do with work. This principle is very connected to that one, very connected to that one. But in the beginning, in other words, before there was, before there was sin, before the fall, God gave man work to do, and that work was intending the garden, cultivating the garden. Because, because there was potential there in the earth for the earth to produce something more than it just automatically was yielding. So, for example, we know the earth grows naturally all kinds of fruit and herbs and berries and different things, right? But it can produce more of those things if you cultivate them. That's what essentially agriculture is. So, for example, the earth naturally produces wheat, but you can produce more of it by 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 planting it on purpose in one particular spot, right? So there's a concentration of wheat in a wheat field. And the same would, go, uh, the same would be true in other parts of the earth for, for uh, you know, cocoa beans. That it would grow naturally, but you can also plant and cultivate them so that the earth produces more through that cultivation than it would just naturally. And see, then... Flour, uh, uh, wheat can be made into flour and cocoa beans can be made into chocolate. And you mix a few other simple ingredients and you can have chocolate chip cookies and deliver them to 800 Piner Road <laughs> on any given day of the week. Vicki will know what to do with them. In the next week or so, they'll go to the international uh, student community. But after that, we will be blessed by them and find other purposes for them. But that's a, it's an illustration of what it means that the earth has latent potential. Okay? That there, there, is, there is just potential in creation to be uh, leveraged, to be developed. And man has the capacity to do that. And in fact... Millennia later, millennia down through history after Adam and Eve, we, we go from a garden and cultivating a garden to uh, uh, lithium-ion batteries and medical technology that's absolutely astounding, right? The kinds of things that people can do. Um, the internet, smartphones, and on and on and on. The point is that, that, that what we have done is is developed the latent potential of creation and then developed what other people have developed and so on. That's how, that's how we get, uh, again, generations downstream um, to, to actually creating culture. But developing the latent potential of creation, that's part of our purpose as human beings, part of your purpose is using the capacities God's given you to develop the latent potential uh, in creation. That means we, we sort of engage with the world as we encounter it. You know, you and I were born into a world much more advanced 
than the world was 100 years ago, right? But we, we sort of engage with the world as we encounter it, as we receive it. And then hopefully develop something in whatever, whatever way that means. We develop something that contributes to other people. And so some key words that, that I might attach to this concept of, of, of this part of the cultural commission. Key words would be contribute, cultivate, and create. And maybe I, I did those in a different order on the slide. Cultivate, create, and contribute. But that is, you're, we're, we're cultivating what's there in, uh, in creation as we uh, encounter it. We're creating and doing all of that in a way that contributes to the good of other people. I mean, these are just helpful words that, again, everything I'm saying about this is incomplete. It's one of the hard parts of it. Everything is incomplete and it's insufficient. But uh, hopefully that we're, we're just sort of putting some pegs in the wall, as it were, to kind of hang some understanding on later. But these would be helpful words to think of when, 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 when we think of purpose as God defines it for humanity in the very beginning. Cultivating, creating, and contributing would be three helpful words to build an understanding that, of that later. And a phrase we might attach to that is uh, that we live for the glory of God and the good of other people. That we, if we put both of these things together, that, that our mere existence supposed, is supposed to reflect the glory of God. But if we, if we think about our embrace of that uh, commission and commandment and living it out. We do so for the glory of God and the good of other people. And then I would say key concepts here, it's for all people and it's for all of life. Again, it's not just, this is not just a Christian theme. God created humanity with the same potential, with the same purpose. What we know is not all of humanity lives according to that purpose, right? Not all of humanity cares about the glory of God, and that's part of man's problem. And, and again, we'll get to some of that in the weeks to come. But it is for all people, and it's for all of life, the, the entirety of life. In other words, God doesn't just reveal in the Bible things that are relevant for one little part of our spiritual life. He didn't say in the beginning, um, hey, pretty much y'all can do whatever you want, but one day a week... You know, you need to get together and worship and pray occasionally or whatever. All of life fell under God's dominion. And for human beings, all of life is supposed to point to him to reflect his glory and represent his purposes. There's a well-known uh, quote in this regard um, from a theologian, politician. I don't know what all he did. He was sort of a Renaissance man, um, did a lot of different things. Abraham Kuyper, though, was his name. And you may be familiar with this quote, but he said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. There is not one square inch in creation over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not say, 
this is mine. I'm Lord over all of it. He's Lord over every day of the week, not just one day a week. He's Lord over every hour of the day. Every aspect of our life. He's Lord over all of it. And see, one of, the, one of the reasons this is a difficult concept to understand, as I said, it's simple but not necessarily easy, is because most of us are conditioned to think of life um, as, as sort of having two categories to it. You know, that we, we've got the secular world and then we've got the sacred world or whatever. We've got um, most of our life, our work and uh, recreational stuff and whatever that is just secular, and then we've got that spiritual part of us that is, you know, we, we do periodically or whatever. That is not life or the world as God reveals it. It is all his. We are all his. And this is the mind shift that we have to have. There's not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry. This is mine. I want to offer an illustration as I sort of uh, lead toward a conclusion here, again, a, a really loose conclusion that doesn't really conclude but leads to next week's message. But as I lead to the end of today's message and we move on. Uh, I have found this to be one of the most helpful illustrations to getting, to getting your mind around this idea of my purpose being very comprehensive uh, in, in, in the full range of my life and the full range of my capacities and so forth. Many of you uh, probably saw years ago the movie Chariots of Fire and um, one of the featured characters in that was Eric Little, based on a true story. Eric Little was a Scottish fellow, the son of missionaries, and um, he himself had come to the point that he had committed to serving as a missionary in China and um, he was also a great athlete. Played rugby and ran uh, track, if they even called it that, I don't know, in the 1920s. But uh, he was a runner, a rugby player. And he had the opportunity to run in the 1924 Olympics. And the way the movie portrays that, his sister gets a little miffed with him that he's distracted by the idea of running a race, you know, kind of what a silly waste of time, so to speak, like, like he ought to give himself to important things like mission work, things that matter to God. And they have this encounter because she is very bothered by this. And in this scene in the movie, he says, I believe God made me for a purpose for China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. You remember that scene? To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. Not only to run, but to win is to honor him. He did end up going to the mission field, of course. He ended up dying in an internment camp in China. But he also ended up running in the 1924 Olympics. And again, if you are familiar with the story or the movie, you know that 
part of the rest of the story is, not only did he honor God by winning, he honored God by the way he ran or refused to run. Part of the remarkable story was he refused to run on Sunday. He found out that uh, the, the heats for the 100-meter race, which was his forte, his specialty, the heats were going to be on Sunday, and he refused to run on the Lord's day. And instead, he was entered in the 400-meter race, which he had very little time to train for. Uh, he won the gold medal and uh, set the world record. So he honored God, not only as a missionary, okay, and this is where, again, it's trying to create a little bit of a paradigm shift for it because many of us have thought that like missionary work would be the most spiritual work we could do. The most God-honoring work we could do. But what we find in the first commission is that all of life belongs to him. And whatever station it is that he's called us to, if there we glorify him and honor him, by living the way that he commands us to live. Uh, it's all good. It's all good. And that was what, that's what Eric Little illustrated, was that um, the missionary work was good and God-honoring, but running was good and God-honoring because God made him fast. And winning was good and God-honoring. And doing all of that in accordance with God's commands that he would not run when he believed in his heart he was told to rest and worship see that is a great illustration that again just something to, to hang our understanding on or build our understanding on that in all of us God has fashioned certain capacities, abilities tendencies and so forth placed us where we are. We have um, opportunity to cultivate, to create, to contribute, to do that in a comprehensive way and in a way that brings glory to God and honors him even in the way that we do it. That's where our purpose is found. And that's where there is the greatest joy and peace and fulfillment to be found because we are we are living life exactly the way he designed us to be. And that there's just a resonance to it like a, like, like a violin or a cello or something. Uh, I don't know if it strikes you the way that it does me, but when you hear one played well and it just moves the very core of your being, that there's just something right and beautiful about it. And so it goes when we, when we use what God has given us, live the way God's commanded us, um, engage life the way that he's told us to do, all for his glory. A few uh, little caveats as I uh, wind up here. In light of all that I haven't said, that some of you, you may be thinking in your own head, what about this? Uh, first of all, that this cultural commission is still in effect after the fall. It hasn't been uh, it, it, didn't, it wasn't ruined by the fall. It hasn't been replaced or whatever. In fact, the Great Commission 
is to be understood in light of the cultural commission. That is, in other, in other words, the Great Commission, sort of like Jesus said, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. There's a sense in which uh, the Great Commission didn't abolish this cultural commission, but it does fulfill it. Uh, next thing I'll say is, just because we are given dominion does not mean we can do whatever we want to. And one of the errors man has made over and over down through the centuries is using this passage to justify all kinds of things that are essentially what they wanted to do with the world, with the planet, or whatever the case may be. Um, but it doesn't mean we're free to do whatever we want. We exercise dominion on God's behalf. We rule as he would rule, not as we would rule. And so we have to do it in a way that honors and represents him and brings his will to bear in the world. And then finally, uh, it doesn't mean, exercising dominion of the world doesn't mean that we impose Christianity on the world through political or military means. We've made that mistake before too in Christian history. And people are still inclined to do that in different, different ways now that think that the answer to our problems is getting the right people in the right places of power. And it just isn't. That, that turns it upside down. What we know about the gospel is that the, the gospel has the power to change people from the inside out. And as people are changed and then live their lives in obedience to this cultural mandate, the world is changed. Families are changed, cities are changed, nations are changed as the gospel changes people from the inside out, not from the outside in. Again, those are all just, those are the kinds of things that come, maybe come to people's mind um, as, as you're even talking through those uh, principles that just need to be sort of pegs put in the, in the wall here as uh, caveats or qualifications. But the good news to us is every human being can live a life that is absolutely loaded with meaning and purpose that is wonderfully fulfilling and enriching and joy-filled and it does not have to be by serving as a missionary, a pastor, or a Christian, something else or the other. It is not, you know, it, it, God is not only pleased because we do Christian things, but that we do all things Christianly, we might say. Well, let's bow together in prayer. Well, God, again, we exalt your name and we just declare you are Lord, sovereign over all. And we rest in that and thank you for that. 
that every square inch of creation, every little facet of our lives are under your lordship. And even the ways that you have shaped us, the experiences that we've gained in life, um, the people we've come into contact with, all of that can be used by you in good and God-honoring ways to bring you glory and to do good to other people. So Lord, would you teach us how to do that, reorient our perspective on, uh, on even the life right around us and what's right in front of us, that we might find new inspiration, fresh opportunity, fresh energy to engage your world for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.